We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, RotoViz Radio listener. This is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to RotoViz.com. Click the subscribe button, put the 12-month subscription in your cart, and use promo code RVRADIO2021. That's RVRADIO2021. And you're going to save 10%. Taking advantage of this deal, getting your hands on what's included in the package is the best way to enhance your performance this year. So go to rotoviz.com and subscribe now. Mahomes has the time, delivers, perfectly down. Hello everyone, welcome back to Rotoviz Overtime on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And I'm joined by Sean Siegel, one of the co-owners at Rotoviz, my co-host here on the Rotoviz Overtime podcast. And Sean. Uh, second show of the week, Scott Fish jumped on on our show on Tuesday. Um, hopefully the listeners enjoyed that. And of course, we're back today with another one as we aim to do three shows a week uh, for the rest of the off-season, potentially, as we, we ramp up the content here on Rotoviz Radio. Uh, fun show in store today, Sean, as we look at uh, some players and some ADP as well. So always, always a fun topic when we get to dive into specific players. Yeah, we're going to look at... Uh, a couple of recommendations from Sam Wallace. One of the things that has been fun in terms of researching my own articles over the last couple of weeks and some of my player recommendations, so many of them uh, really take the lead from articles that Sam has written in the past so we can play off of those. When I look to what Sam wrote last year, I find so much of the success that I had was based on players that he recommended. So uh, if you're out there, if you're looking for someone to read and win your league, Sam Wallace has been doing a great job. We'll look at a couple of his guys. We also have a new writer who debuted on Friday with the site, Corbin Young. He's got a cool look at some running backs who have a chance to really uh, completely change around your team at a minimal price. And so anytime that we can get bell cow running backs and not to pay a lot, look for them to win leagues for us, maybe even work in uh, if you're doing sort of a mild version of zero running back, uh, be somebody who can lead your team there. You know, those are the guys who change seasons for us. So I'm excited to talk about Corbin's article and, and we should have some good player recommendations for you today. 
yeah looking forward to it uh you know the show sheet looks pretty stacked here so let's get let's get into it sean i know uh one of the guys was going super late last year we picked him up on a, a couple of different rosters uh, that that had quite a bit of success um and the ffpc main event team uh, with ben actually uh, was one of those leagues and you know at the spot where we were taking him it, it was like one of those questions well does it work out for him or doesn't it work out for him and in carolina but uh robbie anderson had a big year last year um, had a you know a really strong start to the year but the one thing about him was as we looked through it uh, first two weeks were wide receiver one weeks didn't hit quite those heights throughout the season but had a lot of high teen kind of close to you know 19 17 points uh, game so had a, a really consistent startable uh, weeks particularly obviously we're looking at from baseball but from season long as well he was usable uh, on a very very high percentage of his weeks uh, finished uh, the season with 136 targets 95 receptions and over a thousand yards so really really solid all around what's your outlook on him this season as he he currently sits at uh, wide receiver 33 yeah and you mentioned those numbers those were all career highs right and you go through and look and one of the things that sam mentions is that this all happened with teddy bridgewater throwing for only 3700 yards and 15 touchdowns so to to look at those numbers and think that he would have three fantasy relevant wide receivers is kind of crazy right i mean you have robbie anderson scores 225 points we get 211 from Moore, 211 from curtis samuel and the interesting thing here is that robbie anderson is not particularly expensive and yet he's not one of those free guys so he comes in that area where maybe we're starting to transition to running back selections and we have to make this somewhat difficult choice of deciding okay well do we think that Anderson's season last year is a good indication of where he is now and sort of where he's going? And the theme that Sam was kind of using in this article and what he wanted readers to understand in terms of value is that there are some guys who finished a little bit slower, who may be a little undervalued now as a result. So one of the things that he and I were talking about in relationship to this article was a cool piece that Brian Malone wrote for us a number of years ago, using the road of his screener, breaking down the season by halves and looking at whether or not these people who finished fast then had a big advantage going into the following season. Brian's thought initially, his thesis before he started the research was that, okay, these guys who finished strong, they're going to be players who then really come out of the gates well. They're there the next wave of players, we should be sure that we're really aware of those fast finishers and draft accordingly. But that's not really what the numbers came out and showed, right? And so we may have an opportunity to get some of these guys with a little bit slower finishes at a discount. Robbie Anderson, 16 points per game over the first half of the season, only 12 points per game over the second half. And now drafters have to decide you know, what element there is accurate. And probably it's going to be that 14 points per game that he averaged for the entire season. So then, Colin, I think that the, the question here is how much does the departure of Curtis Samuel create both a little bit more floor and ceiling for Anderson as he tries to build off of that season? Now, we do have a cool article coming out from another new writer this week looking at the, the potential impact from Marshall in this offense and that he may come in and do a lot of the same things that Samuel did a little bit more similar in terms of some of the routes that he can run than people may realize because we, we tend to think of Samuel and their new rookie as being different types of players how concerned are you 
about the fact that this offense probably even with Sam Darnold who in some ways is even less proven than Teddy Bridgewater almost certainly has a higher ceiling but also a lower floor right but he does have that familiarity with Anderson one of the things that Sam mentions here is that Anderson is the wide receiver 29 in the range of outcomes tool so we can be fairly confident that we're getting a decent value for Anderson when you're talking about wide receiver 33 coming off the board and there may even be upside there if this offense can take a step forward because they're not necessarily going to be a team that throws a lot to the fourth receiver or to the tight end yeah so the fourth wide receiver yeah obviously we're looking at a lot of targets going the way of uh, if we say the fourth receiver uh, and Christian McCaffrey but in terms of how it went last year like Mike Davis had a, a career year I guess as well he had 70 targets so I would say pretty much each and every one of them plus some more is probably going to go to Christian McCaffrey when he comes in the big question is going to be that 100 targets that has departed with Curtis Samuel now I don't think the rookie is going to get all 100 but obviously they've made some adjustments at the tight end position as well and I think that'll factor in the the big question mark is the quarterback and, and Sam Darnold um, we have seen them play together in New York previously and you know you mentioned about Bridgewater Bridgewater is basically you know steady level at all the times it's never going to spike up and be great it's probably never going to just fall off a cliff either but that's not going to really excite you that much which Sam Darnold has is he can hit those highs but he can also hit those low lows uh, I think though I still have belief in Sam Darnold being able to turn things around and be a pretty good NFL quarterback um, and I think like if you look at just the efficiency of this offense last year you mentioned the numbers 3700 yards if you look between uh, Samuel Moore and Anderson it's over 3000 yards basically uh, from those so there was really nothing after them that to be divvied around uh, I think that Anderson and Moore are both very attractive uh, options this year and I, I'm drafting DJ Moore very confidently this season and if you look at how it finished up between those guys last year like Anderson had uh, 20 more targets he, and he, he, he almost had 30 more receptions so 29 more receptions did finish less in yards and where this team really fell down was in touchdowns uh, just didn't have the the upside from a touchdown perspective but Anderson had three touchdowns Moore had four touchdowns so when we're looking at you know the confidence we have in DJ Moore moving forward we should be pretty confident in Robbie Anderson as well based on how he performed with Moore in the lineup last year so I'm targeting both of them I think this is another offense that has been a little bit overlooked obviously you have the high-end players and McCaffrey and Moore but I think um, Anderson is somebody who who could be tempting and I, I do think Darnold as well has has an option to have have upside as well well they definitely made the change at quarterback because of this inability to attack deep you look at Anderson and his line from last season and it's really hard to understand how he could have had 29 more receptions than DJ Moore and gain 100 fewer yards despite being one of the faster players in the entire nfl so a little bit of that is that they used more as the vertical guy maybe that doesn't exactly fit with the skills that those guys possess maybe they'll go in a little bit different direction there again bringing the rookie in to do some things as well but like you said we think that getting the most out of dj Moore was the impetus for this move to darnold whether or not he can do that is, is sort of a separate question, but we least know that the Panthers want to. And I think that if you have the confidence in more, then Anderson also has to look like a pretty good value at his ADP. So I think this is a, a great value pick here. Colin, then we look at Tyler Lockett. I know a guy that you have always liked. You like the vertical element of the Seahawks passing game. 
we know again that there was a big split between first half and second half. Lockett scoring just under 20 points per game, really, in the first half of the season. That falls to 13.6 in the second, which means that he's a high-end wide receiver one, and then he's someone who starts to fall into that wide receiver three range in the second half. We know that the Seahawks have come out and said, okay, we intend to have a horrible, boring, inefficient offense again in 2021. If anything, we'd like to make it worse. And yet, at the same time, I mean, they're going to do some things here with their offensive scheme to try and get that efficiency level back up. You know, you look at someone like a Russell Wilson, and it's very hard to hold that player down for a long time. I expect Wilson's efficiency to spike. We don't know what the volume will be. I just think that there'll be some pull of running a real NFL offense. And even if they kind of went in with this idea, okay, we'll be like the Baltimore Ravens, you just don't have the same pieces to do that, right? So I think that we're going to see a bounce back from this passing game. Would you agree? And and what's the outlook for Tyler Lockett here uh, splitting targets with DK Metcalf? but maybe not having a lot of targets going to peripheral players within this offense. Yeah, we're seeing here is very um, concentrated offenses, I guess, if we look at it. And look, we, I don't know, how, can we ever say that there's going to be a change in philosophy, I guess, by the, the Seahawks other than to want to run the ball? We got kind of eight weeks last year where we, we thought that we were going to get uh, Russell Wilson unleashed and things were looking very smooth and uh, it obviously tapered off very very rapidly after that the, the I, I really like Lockett you mentioned it. I've liked it since he came into the NFL um, you know have owned him in dynasty leagues for a long time and I really, really do like what he actually brings as a, an NFL player my problem this year with him just and he's going currently at wide receiver 22 is that he's going in that range and I mentioned this um, on a couple of shows where the players that I'm targeting and that kind of fifth round range where he's going are some of those uh, quarterbacks, you know, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, or T. Higgins. Uh, Brant Nayuk tends to go in that range as well. So there's just, I have a number of players going at that point that I prefer over Lockett. Um, but I, I really do think that, you know, if it was a situation that he was available, uh, you know, I, I would be interested if those guys were gone. I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but um, that, is, that is my kind of aspect on, on Lockett this year. I, I do also have concerns about the offense, but when we look at, let's say, the Titans, uh, we talked with Ben about them uh, on last week's show, and when we look at those guys, you know, Julio and AJ Brown, and then you have Derrick Henry, we have a very similar probably setup when we're looking at the Seahawks. So I think there's enough for those guys to both um have, have a lot of success but i do feel at the moment that you know in terms of the trajectory and upside i think clearly at this point metcalf um has that real elite upside to to be be that superstar and i think lockett's going to be you know your consistent option i think he probably is going to and this has a real value as well but i think although they're a different type of player i think he probably falls in now to that julian edelman category where he was for the last maybe three to four years of his career where he was able to put up those quite consistent points, but we, we mightn't have been just drafting him as early based on the potential upside that we were thinking that he was going to have. So I really like Lockett, um, but he's just in an area where I'm, I'm targeting other players. Is he somebody you're targeting, or is he are those other players that I mentioned kind of um, you know, making it hard to draft him over them? Yeah, he's, he's not, even though I think he's a good value. And so that kind of raises the question of, well, why would you not be hitting someone who is this good value? And I think trying to work through that for yourself to make sure that you're 
making the right decision uh, is an important part of the process here. So, you know, are we passing on Lockett because he is getting a little bit older and is suddenly just not fun? Because that might be a problem if we're passing on someone just because it's pretty true. <laughs> yeah, not kind of the trendy move to make. Are we concerned about the offense to the point where, again, some of these other guys in this range we think are the big-time talents? You mentioned the discussion we have with Ben. He's saying A.J. Brown is going to be the guy who scores regardless, right? He's good before the catch. He's good after the catch. He's going to demand targets within an offense. One of the things that I think is interesting from this perspective of how do you project players, and, and obviously that was the big topic on Stealing Bananas this week, but – the better the player is, the more that his targets are going to be almost unrelated to the offense itself and what the target share is going to be. He'll get whatever target share is necessary to get the number of targets that his offense needs him to have in order for the offense to work, right? But that brings us back to this question with Lockett and Metcalf. And if we're going to have an offense that maybe is a little bit lower volume in the passing game, like, which guy is the guy? Because it's probably DK Metcalf, right? Last season, Lockett had three more targets, and he had 17 more receptions, but 250 fewer receiving yards. And so with Metcalf, if he takes another little step forward, then we could see him starting to demand targets and catching the ball at a rate that really leaves Lockett at a position where yeah, there are scenarios where he's still a very good player, but there are also scenarios where he's more this like 13 and a half points per game player who wouldn't be a value in this range. So that's the kind of the thing that we have to look at again is how much does the second half of the season matter to us and how much does DK Metcalf's presence matter to us? Last year, Lockett and Metcalf split the touchdowns 10 and 10. And as a result, they finished only eight points apart for the full season. It's probably easier to see a scenario where that gap widens than where Lockett sort of takes the lead, even if it's just for one season. We think, okay, well, what are the different scenarios? You know, could Lockett do this? We like the floor. We like the weekly upside. Are you concerned at all if you are someone who is in a traditional redraft league and you're having to make your starting decisions every week that if you get into a stretch where you've used a high pick on Lockett, but then he has a couple of bad weeks that you're going to be concerned about even putting him into your starting lineup, and that from that perspective, Lockett's a little bit tricky from a roster construction. That, that's fair. It's definitely fair. Um, I think the even more so than Lockett, you've, you mentioned about the kind of maybe a little bit lower volume passing offense. And I think that's what will happen. People who, uh, particularly in redraft, the draft Lockett, I think we're gonna, you could get into a situation after five weeks where you're like, I just can't stardom the offenses and you know there's not enough volume there you uh, the Seahawks I think will be pretty good this year and I think you get into a situation then where if they have the lead they're not going to be trying to push the ball downfield quite as much they're not going to be pushing that tempo I know there's like you know if the Chiefs are winning you can be pretty confident they're going to keep trying to move the ball uh, we've seen when the Ravens have been winning although they were doing it by rushing the ball they continue to try and kind of force the ball down the opposition's throat until they they, they could score more points but I don't think we'll see that with the Seahawks I think Seahawks are quite comfortable in you know 17-14 games 17-13 games they're, they're not really trying to push uh, to try and hit those 30 and 40 point days so that would be a, a concern where I think that you're when you're having to put them into the lineup each week that we're we're starting to think can we be confident that the the volume is there and that's that's a hard thing to think about about the definite wide receiver two on a team if not potentially a wide receiver one that we don't know if we have a weekly volume to 
start him confidently. Yeah, and I would just finish this conversation up by saying uh, every season I sort of just miss in terms of drafting Tyler Lockett, so I would have had him on my board just after where he's going to go. We'll discuss him when I'm co-owning teams with people. Like, let's let it wrap back around. Let's see if he makes it. He never makes it. And then I always regret that decision. So, you know, at a certain point when you regret the decision enough, you feel like you have to, to pull the trigger. But I find that when you finally go ahead and, and select the player, you know, several years down the line, that doesn't work out either. So anyway, re- regret not drafting Tyler Lockett. Do think that he's a good value in 2021. Uh, just be clear on where you want him on your board, how he fits in with your roster and your overall build uh, if he does what you want him to do within the context of your overall plan sam also has one other wide receiver in this group we won't spoil that for you uh he is someone that we like on the show i don't think that you'll be surprised but make sure you check out sam's work on the site and call him after the break we're going to find out a couple of running backs who could really set your team up nicely without having to pay uh those first round prices We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Sean, you mentioned it uh, at the start of the show, new writer up on the site. There's a lot of exciting uh, talent um, involved, obviously, in general with the Road of His writing team, but in terms of the, the new guys coming in, uh, the majority of the time we see them hit the ground running and really um, put out some amazing content. That first piece that you mentioned was from Sam Wallace. Uh, Sam has just been a, a megastar since he kicked things off uh, on the site. But Carbon comes in here and we're talking about um, running backs. And you mentioned before the break there that we don't want to pay those big prices. I think anyone listening to the show probably realizes that. I actually had a, a draft that uh, started yesterday um, and I was glad to pay the, the big price I got my guy Jonathan Taylor at the the 108 so uh, uh, trying to build up those shares so I don't mind paying the price if the if the guy is the right guy but um, what what has Carbon got for us here in his uh, his debut piece well he mentions the research that Jack and, and Charlie before that have done on this concept of big gap and small gap running backs in terms of ADP and running back teammates right so basically the concept is that if you have one running back being drafted really early, one running back being drafted really late, those are big gap guys. If they're being drafted more in the same area, those are small gap guys. The big gap guys tend to score the most points and they're tied for the highest win rate. And so one of the things that that we can feel comfortable with, and, and this is intuitive, right? Is that if a running back has all of his team's volume, then 
he at least has the things in place to go on and have a good fantasy season. Now, we know that running back injuries come into play. We know that uh, win rates sort of across the board for running backs can be problematic. We know that we don't want to have too many running backs, that the whole, I mean, really all of fantasy football boils down to this idea of winning the race to fill the flex. You want to be very wide receiver heavy. But within that concept, I mean, you, you do want to have some running backs. And so if we could get somebody who's a big gap back, right? So fantasy owners are basically saying, based on how they're drafting their, these guys, we think that this is the guy in the offense. If you can get that guy and not have to pay a lot, then that's pretty compelling. Now, in those cases, we can probably guess that maybe there are some things about the running back that make them a little bit less expensive. But I think that's why this conversation will be fun today. So the two guys, Mike Davis, he's got a FFPC redraft ADP of 49 and Miles Gaskin, that ADP of 57. Davis, someone who scored a lot of points, especially in the first half of the season last year in filling in for Christian McCaffrey. He now has this sort of bizarre situation within the Atlanta Falcons backfield where they added him and then they didn't do anything else, right? And so it's, it's very difficult to figure out, you know, who's going to touch the ball, who's going to catch in this offense if it's not Mike Davis. Now, the very fact that Davis is a, a three-down back looked good last year, but then collapsed in the second half as the bell cow in Carolina. Now, that's the main reason, obviously, that he is not more expensive than he is. Come on, take us through the way that you look at Davis. What are the crucial things that we need to know about his profile, both to the good and the bad? Well, the thing I like about Davis was this time last year, it was virtually uh, free. Uh, we were in a situation where in this, the, there is obviously a mention of Christian McCaffrey uh, and Chubba Hubbard in terms of their differences, which is, is pretty massive. It's almost 150 spots in terms of ADP. So we were probably not that far off. Now, I don't have the data in front of me, but last year this time with, with Davis, and um, that was obviously the reverse of this. Now we're in a situation where he looks to be the, the main guy. And in this article, we're looking at the, the other option, and it's Javian Hawkins, obviously um, the rookie down in Atlanta. So when we look at Davis, I think there there is the upside there for to do what he did last year. I think, and I don't know if you agree, but I think what we've seen last year was the probably the maximum of his upside. I don't think he's going to get the same uh, volume probably in Atlanta, and I, I just have a lot of concerns. He For me, he fits right into the guy who was potentially a zero running back guy and now is still potentially for some in that area of zero running back but where he's going is above where i would be willing to take somebody in that range and firmly as we touched on a couple of weeks ago in the running back dead zone so i have a large amount of concerns there i think we touched on it as well on one of the shows where i said is he a value at whatever point it was he had dropped around in one of my drafts and you you didn't really think that he, he was a value at that point so i'm interested to see what your thoughts are now but uh, even in the the draft that i did with zachary kruger for for our uh, our hundred thousand dollar ffpc draft we did take hawkins in that he's somebody who i've been picking up so while it mightn't work out while he potentially mightn't make the roster when it comes to cuts and things like that i think the upside of taking him at that point versus the the options that are available around where davis is going um is is too much to pass up i think when we look then at the other guy that uh, is written here by carbon is um miles gaskin now i have drafted miles gaskin in a couple of drafts after he has 
um, going quite a bit below ADP, but uh, Salvin Ahmed, who had a pretty solid run last season, um, at one point in the season, I think, um, is the other option. Now, if I was looking at which of these two I'm willing to take at this point, I would be more willing to take Gaskin, um, uh, just based on, I, I think, Davis is probably at his, his peak value at this particular point. Um, do you agree, disagree with that, or, or how do you feel? Well, uh, the Davis question, I think, is interesting because it, it does relate pretty strongly to this uh, topic or theme that Ben and I have been talking about on Stealing Bananas this week of player talent and how that really tends to dictate touches as you go through a season. And it can be a mistake to look at someone who appears to have the volume early in the year if they don't have the talent to back that up. And, and obviously talent and skill are two different things, but but roll that into a ball looking at like who that person is as a player Will they be able to maintain their stranglehold on the volume? At the same time, Davis is interesting, right? Because he's one of these guys who was considered to be a big-time college prospect until he finished slow. He comes into the NFL without a lot of fanfare, doesn't really get much of a chance early on. And last year was really the first time that he got to show what he could do, right? And so he has those first five weeks of the season, all of them running back to or better three of them more than 22 points a game, and then the wheels fall off, right? Seven of his last nine games, he's a running back three or worse. Actually, six of those games, he scores between 8.1 and 8.8 points. So, I mean, that that eight-point range, very, very tight for him in terms of what he was doing in the Panthers' offense. So I I guess then the, the question becomes... Is Atlanta completely different? Because we could look at this and say, okay, well, you know, Mike Davis couldn't maintain it as the season went along. But how many of the guys that we look at as being much bigger talents would have also crumbled within that Panthers offense? Because we were just talking earlier in the show about how Teddy Bridgewater didn't exactly lead a juggernaut and things kind of got worse as it went along. You think about, well, you know, what are we excited about with the Panthers offense in 2021? And obviously it's those couple of receivers. It's Christian McCaffrey, but it's it's Christian McCaffrey, right? I mean, he's what makes this offense work. And we know that Davis is at that level, but when we look at the Falcons offense, maybe it's completely different, right? We have these dome games. We know that the Falcons do get their running backs down there by the goal line. We know that Todd Gurley was so washed up last year that they basically could not play him. And yet in the first half of the season, when they were sort of forced to based on the fact that they didn't have anybody else and that they just signed him to a free agent contract and looks pretty bad if you take someone with Todd Gurley's name and say, okay, we, we paid you, but now you're so bad that we can't play you at all, which was the case as the season went along. But when they actually were playing him, he was scoring well, right? So is the difference between Carolina and Atlanta so large that we should actually see Mike Davis as being that guy who over the first five weeks that he really was the player in Carolina where he was just a a clear cut, not just running back one, but a high end running back one. Do we still like the Falcons in that light or does the loss of Julio Jones put them more in the middle where, uh, you know, it becomes a difficult call here. I think I'm still much higher on the Falcons than you are heading into the season. You know, I, I know we've talked about Matt Ryan a few times. I'm quite confident that this is going to be a, a pretty strong team um, in terms of putting up offensive points. I think they're going to struggle a lot defensively, and I think that's going to lead them to be in situations where we get into more pass sets and, and more aggressive play calling. So 
if we're looking at a situation where we get down near the goal line and he gets in on those, that's that's fair enough. But I think in terms of where the it's going to be, it's going to be concentrated, and I think it's going to be concentrated between Pitts, Ridley, and obviously Matt Ryan producing that. So there is going to be other options. There's Russell Gage. Um, there's you know a, a number of different scenarios, but I don't see this team being in the lead a huge amount of times where we're getting lots of rushing work then for Davis. Now, if he can do it in the passing game, like he did show at points last season, but it felt to me like the work he was doing in the passing game was a little bit of an anomaly or a little bit fluky. You know, when we look at those numbers then throughout that point, you know, week seven, eight, nine, ten, he didn't hit double digit points in that section. You know, if he's a running back that we believe that can handle eight to ten targets a game, we should be expecting more than nine points from that guy. So fair enough it might be a better offensive situation or a better quarterback situation with the Falcons. But I think that if we're expecting him to be able to elevate that floor and turn those weeks into 15 point weeks when he's getting those eight to 10 targets, I I just think that there's too much that has to be done for him to get to that point. But my other concern is I think that the guys behind him are a threat to his starting job. So I can't confidently pick him at his spot with the thought that he may not be starting running back come week three and something that you did mention a number of times on this show before and you mentioned it with Ben was you're kind of drafting teams for week five week six week seven what is the ADP at that point and I feel like at that point Mike Davis could be in a, a lot different scenario than we're picturing him at the moment yeah you mentioned Miles Gaskin I think that he is the more exciting of the two and he's also a little bit cheaper so that may be the direction we want to go with this the contrast between Davis and Gaskin is really pretty extreme here in that we saw all of those running back three or worse weeks from Davis Gaskin last season. When I went back through this, as I was editing the Arbin for, with, for Corbin and kind of chatting with him about it a little bit, I mean, Gaskin averaged 16.8 points per game last year, right? Eight of his 10 weeks, he was a running back two or better. He had 34 points in week 16. I mean, this is a guy who had some very big performances and the Dolphins seem to be looking at him more like the guy who could do that again, right? They didn't go out and address this in a big way. Between weeks seven and weeks 15, he just played twice, right? If he played during that stretch and continued to score like he did the rest of the season, there'd be no way you'd be getting him at this value, right? The other thing that's kind of interesting here, and I don't know that it necessarily is something where he would be better with Tua than with Ryan Fitzpatrick, but it was relevant or it was interesting. Corbin points out that, you know, use of the game splits app in those five games of two, he averaged 19.9 points per game, right? I mean, so you're talking again about high end running back one value. Now, one of the players that Evan mentioned on the third episode of stealing bananas there was Tua and this Dolphins offense and how it could potentially take a step forward and how all of these guys are undervalued. So, I think that that is is the case with Miami. I think that they're going to be a better offense. I think that their guys are going to score some points. So if you think that Gaskin can completely hold off Ahmed for the role here, then this is the value that I'm starting to like a lot more. Now, one of the things that always concerns me is you have these guys like Gaskin who I think actually should be given more credit for their talent, and yet the team doesn't always do that. He has a very similar situation in to guys like a Philip Lindsay, 
who come in and what they did in college was just so absurd. Then they either don't get drafted or they get drafted at the very end of a draft. And you're like, okay, well, you know, NFL GMs continue to make the same mistake of not giving players credit for this extreme production in college. You know, Gaskin is not someone who's sort of a completely out of nowhere player. I mean, he was a collegiate star, right? So what we see here with the Dolphins and with them not doing the thing that Jacksonville did to James Robinson is they're going to let him have a chance to show that he can do this. And the Rotoviz range of outcomes tool really likes him. Corbin pulls out the fact that he's in the top 10 when you sort by targets. And targets are something we're always looking for from these guys who are players we prioritize as your running back options. And the thing here with Gaskin is that unlike a lot of the guys that we mentioned as being zero running back candidates, it's not even something where we need something to change. He's just right? starting to situation. I mean, Gaskin basically has the situation right from the get-go that we're always looking for and saying, like, if somebody gets hurt or if the backup shows that he's the better guy and he earns the workload, then we're golden. Well, well, Gaskin's there right from the start. You know, I, I agree with that. And, you know, when you mentioned, you know, the targets, we're looking at where I mentioned about the floor, basically, with uh, Mike Davis. I think there's a, a much higher floor. And then when we get into if he can get the full workload here, there's a much higher ceiling. I know he had one huge spike week, but if we look at the weeks outside of that, he had only one week below. Uh, and I know we missed some game times, like you mentioned there, only one week below double digits. Um, and it, that was at 9.2 points. So we're seeing him be able to have weeks that are going to be usable at least. And if we can get the, the targets, we're going to get those kind of free points i guess you know one point each time is gonna is gonna add up over the season so that's where my concern is with davis is that the floor is very very low and if things don't go exactly how people may be expecting um it's a situation where the floor could become pretty much non-existent very quickly whereas i think gaskin has a, a safer floor and i think the upside and that offense whether it takes a step forward or doesn't um i think it's going to be going to be pretty solid for him so uh, i have as i mentioned earlier taken gaskin in some drafts not a huge amount but um i, I do think there's upside there and I, he's the kind of player i expect that adp probably will rise as reports start to come out off uh, you know true camp and things like that but uh, anything sean as we get get ready to wrap up here that you you want to mention uh, to to see things out yeah, just again, w w with Gaskin there, the targets from the RO tool, that's a projection for what will happen this season. It'll be interesting to see how the running backs are involved in that running game or in involved in that passing game with the additions they've made at wide receiver. They have some more options that they can go to. But we do like Gaskin there. And just a welcome to Corbin in terms of uh, joining the site, writing a very good first piece. We're excited about what he's going to do. And Colin, I'm excited to have Scott Fish on again for the third show and, and getting fired up about some of these drafts, including the Fishbowl coming up. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that as well. So it's uh, going to be interesting um, to see how some of these running backs fare over the season and, of course, the wide receivers as we talk through them. Uh, having Scott on on Tuesday was phenomenal. If uh, if you haven't heard that show yet, head back and listen to it. If you haven't already subscribed to Stadium Bananas with Sean and Ben Gretsch, make sure you do so. And, of course, you can drop us a five-star review as well. We do much appreciate that. And you can get yourself a 10% discount to a one-year Rotoviz subscription. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout or go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. 
that's bringing you to the end of our second show this week the third one coming out on saturday uh, of course hopefully you've enjoyed this one uh, do continue to share the word of the show it's great to see the interaction on social media and uh, people you know mentioning the show and enjoying the show we do appreciate that send us your questions at rotovisradio at gmail.com or on twitter at overtime ireland and of course my co-host today is sean siegel make sure you're checking out his work up on rotoviz.com until we're back on saturday with another edition of the show have a good one thank you for listening to overtime and rotoviz radio please rate and review the rotoviz radio podcast on itunes or your favorite podcast app you can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com follow us on twitter at rotoviz radio and remember you can always support the pod by subscribing to rotoviz with a discount through the rotoviz radio homepage rotoviz.com forward slash podcast